Do you ever doubt that God can do what he says he will do? Do you ever wonder if, 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 if God can do what he says he will do? A lot of people are, you know, believe that he's fully capable of doing anything, that he has the capacity to do anything. After all, the Bible tells us with God, all things are, are possible where God's concerned. Maybe that's you. Maybe you believe that God is fully capable, that he has the capacity, that he can, but will he do what he says he will do? A lot of people believe that on the uh, kind of the cosmic level, you know, the meta narrative, the, the big picture of history, uh, the world and the cosmos, the human history, that, that God will eventually tie it all up neatly in a bow. You know, that he'll show up, that he will gather his people, he'll make all things new, that he will address injustice and pain and tragedy of, of human existence, he'll make things right, he'll right wrongs, that sort of thing. Um, that God will eliminate death for his people, that life will be eternal through Jesus, and that God will establish a, a new heaven and earth that's permanent and perfect. A lot of people believe that. Maybe you're sitting here today and you have some doubts that, can't, that God can or will do those things. You, you, and if, you're, if that describes you, then I, I encourage I'm glad you're here first of all. This is a place where we can have questions and dialogue. I mean, our faith needs to be sincere and well thought through, not just reactionary or blind. So if, if that describes you today, then I encourage you to bring your doubts to him, your questions to him, to read, to study, to pray, to try things his way and just see what happens. I, I don't think if you do that, that everything's going to magically become crystal clear to you. All the big questions will be fully satisfied in your mind, the answers. Um, I don't think all your problems in life will go away. But I am utterly convinced that there are excellent reasons and, and your arguments um, from science and philosophy and history and experience and et cetera to believe and to follow Jesus. And so if you're interested at all or have any questions, then I would love to have a conversation with you. And I can't promise to answer all your questions satisfactorily. But I'll be glad to listen, to ask questions, and to share my thoughts and observations. That's just an aside. But I don't, I just want to, I don't want to assume that every week everybody believes what we're talking about. So back to our original question. Do you ever doubt that God will do what he says he will do? And here's the final kind of qualifier. In your life, your personal life, in your circumstances, do you ever question if he will do what he says he will do in your life? Now, that question assumes that there's no confusion over what God says he will do, correct? I mean, let's be honest. There are things that we blame God for, things that we like to have or experience in life. But if we're honest, he's never promised us those things. He's never explicitly promised, for example, that we'll be married or have kids. He's never promised explicitly we'll be healthy our whole life. He's never explicitly promised that we'll be highly successful in our, in our career or chosen profession. He has never ex explicitly promised that we'd never struggle or, or have pain or, or experience tragedy. But let's say you're confident, you're certain that you've heard from God through his spirit and through his word. You're confident that he has told you he's going to do something in your life. You're clear about that. And so then you wait. And you, and you wait some more. 
And when you get tired of waiting, you, you, you wait some more. And then you begin to wonder after a while if God or will God do what he said he would do in your life. Well, that's the situation in our, our passage today. It, it's in Luke chapter 1. There's uh, several different parts where I'm going to read from. But we're going to begin with uh, verse 5 in chapter 1 of Luke, where we read, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they're, these, are, these are blue bloods, okay? It's kind of spiritually speaking, their heritage, all right? Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both well advanced in years. Now, this couple, they had wanted children more than anything else. They had seen physicians, no doubt. They, I'm sure they would have had discussions with their rabbis about this. They had tried for many years. There were many tears, sleepless nights, lying awake, wondering why God, their friends all had kids. Their, their friends were starting to have grandkids. And they, they felt disappointed, frustrated, maybe, maybe crushed. Their, their dream is dying before their eyes, and they wonder who would care for them when they got old. And along with that, if you know the context of the day, uh, there would have been people, a lot of people, who would have had the belief that, well, be, because they don't have children, they must have done something wrong in their life. There was some sort of sin that's causing this. There's this cause and effect. If you don't have something, that means you must have sinned. So they would have heard the whispers or the comments here and there. And they prayed to God in their sorrow, but the answer they got was silence. Now, hearing God's silence was not merely Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience only. The, the nation of Israel, they had not heard from God in 400 years. They hadn't heard through a prophet, God speaking to them for 400 years. The last word was from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. There's a period of 400 years. Radio silence. No promised Messiah showing up. Just a series of nations ruling them, and now Rome is in control. I'm sure many people must have begun to think that, you know, God forgot about us. God doesn't care about us. And so they, the hurt was too much, the pain was too deep, the experience of, of regret and disappointment was so deep that they began just to move on. I'm going to live my life. I can't control this, so I'm just going to live for the here and now. Build a life with little thought to God and his word. I mean, he's silent, after all. That's not the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They thought God's word from long ago had something to say to their present and their future. They're described as upright and as blameless. They do everything they're supposed to do. They, they not only talk about God's word, they not only hear it, but they, they do it. Their lives are built around it. But as we see, even the blameless and the faithful sometimes struggle to, to trust God's word. To believe that, yeah, God did it to, in their life. God did it in the Old Testament. God did it in the New Testament. But my life? Uh, sometimes the, everybody struggles sometimes to trust you know, God's word in some areas. 
We want a life that is predictable. We want a life that we can control. We don't want long periods of silence and disappointment. So let's pick it up in uh, verse 8 now, this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 8. It's a fairly long passage, but stick with me. It'll be on the screen behind me. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, so the, he, was a, he was a priest. So they, had these, they were grouped into divisions. They worked together like shifts, basically. They had different shifts. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And it goes on to tell us that he comes out, he can't speak, the people are wondering what's going on. They they obviously think he's seen a vision, but he's not able to communicate. And then we read in verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So, what's going on here? Zechariah, basically, he wins the lottery. Okay, The highlight of his, his priestly career... He's been picked by lot out of 18,000 priests to have this special honor, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. He must have been excited, thrilled about this. I mean, it didn't happen for everybody, but he gets a chance to do this. And so he walks into the temple very reverently, excited, but filled with a sense of awe and humility because he knows from history that you don't walk into the temple of God casually. You don't... You know, kind of like, hey, yo, God, you don't, you walk in very casually, very, very, very reverently, not casually. And so he walks in and the angel appears. And the angel says, your prayer has been answered. What you've been longing for and waiting for, begging God for, you and your wife, it's, it's, it's answered. So, but it's twofold. He's answered their prayer for a child, but he's also answering their prayer for the redemption of Israel. And they're one and the same. They're tied together. Because she's going to give birth to a son who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. 
And he's set apart, it says. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even conceived. How is that even possible? He's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And he's sort of a bridge between um, God's promise and God's fulfillment. He's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New. He's like the page, the, the bridge between the two. 400 years, he bridges that gap. He's an Old Testament prophet, but he ministers during the age of fulfillment. I mean, in verses 16 and 17, it says, John will turn God's people back to God, which is repentance, right? Repentance is you go one direction, you turn around, you walk towards God. So it makes sense why John is described as ministering the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was the the greatest Old Testament prophet. He had a message of repentance for the nation of Israel, which was largely ignored. But Gabriel says John is going to minister like like Elijah. That his ministry will be one that prepares for reconciliation between father and son, between families, between loved ones, between people, and then also a relationship, a reconciliation between the people and, and the Lord. There's a little bit of background here. Long ago, Malachi, as I said, was the last word from God up to this point. Last book of the Old Testament. And listen to what he says is going to happen. It sounds pretty familiar. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. Basically what the angel says. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Very clear. John is the bridge. And when he has prepared God's people, he says, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, that's Jesus, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so with the introduction of this this prophet that Malachi has foreseen, that God will come into his temple. We would look at another prophet in Ezekiel. The Lord leaves his temple, but Ezekiel has foreseen a day when the Lord will return. This day is coming. It's now being announced. Because with the birth of this prophet, the Lord Almighty is coming back. Jesus will be born just a few months later. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's son is to be the prophet, the bridge that prepares the way for what they've all been hoping for and praying for for so long. Can you, can you imagine the excitement Zechariah must have felt? Can, can you believe it? But Zechariah could not believe it. He should have, we think, right? I mean, God has accomplished miraculous births before. He knows the stories. He's a priest. Abraham and Sarah, Samson's parents, Hannah and her son Samuel. He knows the prophecy from Malachi. He knows it well. Surely he would have recognized it when the angel announces it. But he still doesn't believe. Why? Sometimes we have a hard time believing that God will do in our lives what he says he will do. He's capable, but will he actually do it? And so Zechariah, he's worn down maybe. Maybe he's tired of waiting. He's given up. Maybe he's having a hard time believing that God will use him as part of his fulfillment. This is a, maybe he's thinking, this is just too good to be true. Maybe he's stunned and scared of seeing an angel, but despite God's track record, despite the angel, despite having being a priest, he just cannot believe it. And, and, and remember, these are, these are people who have been fighting the good fight. They, 
They've been faithfully serving the Lord. They know his word. They trust his word. And then what, what they wanted desperately, what they've been praying for, when an angel tells them they're finally going to get it, Zechariah fails. He just can't believe that God will do what he says he will do in his life. And so then as a result, he becomes mute for several months. In a sense, he doesn't believe God has spoken into his life, so he loses the ability to speak to others. He couldn't believe, after all this time, that God would deliver on his promises. It has been too long. But it's clear in Scripture, God is not beholden to our, our timelines and our schedules and our expectations. You know, I read, I read uh, recently that at a McDonald's drive through the typical one, the manager's goal is 50 seconds from the time you place your order until you get your food at the window. But, of course, that's not always reality. You know, uh, maybe an order gets lost or they're understaffed. There's a long line. Something happens and it takes five minutes or ten minutes to fulfill. And then when that happens, we get frustrated, right, because it's fast food. We want our order fulfilled now as we ordered it. You know, I think sometimes we treat God like a McDonald's drive through Here's our order, God. Here's my expectations. Make it happen. Make it happen quickly. We haven't got all day. And we go to God in our cravings and we place our order. And not only does the order you know, come back not right away, but sometimes the order we place and what we receive is different. I didn't ask for onions. But we get something different. We get annoyed and we get angry. And we, you know, we'll take our business elsewhere. I'm going to do life on my own, my own way. Have you ever treated God like God rather than trusting his timing and purposes for your life? There's a, there's a country song out there right now, pretty popular. The title is, I only talk to God when I need a favor. Is, is that how we operate sometimes? When I, when I heard it, I thought, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes, sometimes I do that, sometimes we do that. You know, if you're like me, sometimes I, I make, maybe go to God with my, my order, my prayer request, what I'd like to see happen, and I get impatient while I'm waiting. And so I try to get on with life, try to deal with my disappointments, and sometimes you, you do that through, oh, plan this trip, or, or maybe this went well, or certain experiences, or relationships with friends or family, all good things, but they're not, they're not God, and they're not designed or capable of fulfilling our deepest longings for meaning and purpose. You know, God is not silent. He has spoken clearly through his word, through his world, through his spirit, through Jesus Christ. The problem is that often we're not listening or we hear what he says, but we don't really believe it, like, like Zechariah. Jesus says, I come to give you abundant life. And we say, really, this is abundant life? Where the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we say, when? Like the desires of my heart, like, like, like now? I don't seem to be getting those. When, when Gabriel shows up and speaks this word of promise to Zechariah, it's not the promise that is, that is lacking, is it? This is not a, a weak promise. Well, you get, you get a, a new set of priestly robes, you know, and an autographed copy from Isaiah of his, his book. 
His promise to Zechariah is amazing. It's so amazing that he, he, he just can't seem to believe that God will do what he says he will do in his life. He's going to give him a son who would be the bridge between the Old New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, who would prepare the way for his cousin, who would be the Messiah, who would bring about salvation and forgiveness and grace and peace and love, everything they've been wanting and longing for. But it's hard for him to believe. And God's promises have always been beyond human belief and understanding, but they are true, aren't they? And time and again, we see God keep his promises to people in the scriptures and beyond. I mean, way back in in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 5, we read a prophecy about John the Baptist. Zachary, I would have known this prophecy. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's exactly what the angel says Gabriel is going to do. It's what John ends up doing. But the good news for us is that despite Zechariah's unbelief, God still keeps his promise. And that's good news for us because sometimes we lack belief in regard to God's promises to us. Sometimes we doubt that he will do what he said he will do in our lives. And and it's good news for us because God's promises are not dependent upon us having perfect faith that never doubts, never wonders. His promises are dependent upon his character and his truth and his love and his righteousness. And because that is the basis of his promises, his promises are always kept. Always. And so after John is born, Zechariah gets his voice back and then he, he bursts into song. It's a song of joy and of praise and of wonder. It's a song of, of response to a God that keeps his promises. So let's listen to this, this, this song that he that he sings. Let's listen to the fulfillment of his promise through Jesus and through John the Baptist. Praise be to the God, the Lord of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his son, servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Then he speaks about John. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So circle back to our question. What in your life are you desperately wanting, yearning for, waiting on God to do? What is it? 
when you are tempted to doubt God's promises. Remember the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of their son John. Because the God who who accomplished this miracle over 2,000 years ago is still at work today, still keeping his word, still keeping his promises. And he can be trusted to do what he said he will do in your life. It may not be according to your timing. It may be in a different shape or form, but he will do what he accomplished, what he said he will do in your life. I think of Philippians, where it says that God will be faithful to accomplish what he started in you. And so you can trust God when you doubt, when you're tired of waiting. You can trust him. And you can ask God today that he would give you a heart that that trusts in his amazing word of promise and a heart that rejoices in God's promised salvation because God can and God will keep his word. He will do what he said he will do in your life. So trust him and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word which is true. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all the promises. We thank you that you, as the Apostle Peter calls your promises, they are great and they are precious. So, Lord, we we ask that you would help us to have faith as we wait. Help us to, in the midst of doubt or pain or longing help us to turn to you Jesus to trust to sing your praise to rejoice we thank you Lord for the gift of your son we ask this in your name Amen just stand as we respond to the word and just receive
take a moment to invite our prayer team uh, to take their place in the hallway to the side here. If you're here today uh, and uh, you'd like somebody to pray with you uh, about, about anything, please join them there after service. They would be honored to do so. And now receive the benediction from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.